This is a Federal News Network podcast. Besides being as crabby as the last Congress, what will the new Congress look like? Now that there's a slightly larger Democratic lead in the Senate, but the House in Republican hands slightly, for the outlook, we turn to WTOP Capitol Hill correspondent Mitchell Miller. The curtain opens, Mitchell, and we have these slight changes and shifts. Let's talk about the Senate first. What's going on there, do you think? Well, I think for the 118th Congress, the Democrats are feeling pretty confident in the U.S. Senate because they have that extra vote. And so for a time, of course, we had that 50-50 split and Vice President Kamala Harris had to come over here to the Capitol all the time to break that 50-50 vote. We're not going to have that this year. So Democrats are feeling pretty good on the Senate side. They feel like they can continue to get a lot of judges through on the judiciary side for President Biden. However, as you well know, it's going to be probably blocked up in a lot of different ways because of what's happening on the House side. Yes. And on the House side, there is, well, first of all, is Kevin McCarthy going to be the speaker? Because that is something they've got to settle first before they can move on. Right. That's the big question today. Kevin McCarthy. This is going to be a historic day because Kevin McCarthy really faces more opposition probably than any incoming House speaker uh, that we can recall in recent memory. And this could be a historic vote or series of votes, I should say, that goes back almost 100 years since we've really had a floor fight. There is still a lot of question about who is going to support him and who is not going to support him. Uh, As you know, it only takes five people to vote against him for him not to be elected on that first ballot. So the way it works is the full House has to vote on uh, the House Speaker. Obviously, no Democrats are going to vote for the incoming Republican. Kevin McCarthy still remains confident and has been speaking confidently that he somehow will get to the 218 majority that he needs. Interestingly enough, the majority for Republicans in this House is going to be 222 to 212 currently with one vacancy, that's essentially the same majority that Democrats and former House Speaker Nancy Pelosi had in connection with the Democrats. We have 77 new House members along with seven new senators, 84 lawmakers in total that are being uh, sworn in today as new members. But this is going to be a very unwieldy Republican conference that Kevin McCarthy, if he does become Speaker, and eventually it is likely that's going to happen, although I think we are going to have a lot of political drama today uh, before that actually takes place. Because one thing you can say about Nancy Pelosi, she was a master at keeping all of her cats herded. Absolutely. And she did not have the most uniform caucus either herself on the Democratic side. Uh, Obviously, you had a lot of people on the very far left. You had centrists who are trying to basically stay reelected in districts that are both blue and red. And she was really masterful, whatever you think of her politically, at being able to, as you say, herd those cats, make sure that they all stayed on the same page. And that is what Kevin McCarthy is going to have to do this year if he becomes, excuse me, if he becomes House Speaker because he is going to need to have to get the people on the far right, which is the House Freedom Caucus, a lot of people there not happy with him, along with these moderates who were in similar districts, only with a more Democratic tilt on the moderate side. And, of course, there is some new leadership on the minority side. That's right. Hakeem Jeffries is the new Democratic leader succeeding House Speaker Nancy Pelosi. He is really untested in that position, although he has been the head of the Democratic Caucus for some time. And there's a lot of question about what's going to happen 
happen with the Republican-controlled uh, House committees as well. What will happen with some of these committees like House Oversight and Government Reform, which has been led by Carolyn Maloney, the Democrat, for a long time, but she lost her race. That is now being taken over by James Comer of Kentucky. He has indicated he's interested in a lot of different things, including Hunter Biden's laptop, among other things. You have the Judiciary Committee, Jim Jordan, and a lot of scrutiny of the FBI and the Justice Department. So a lot of changes coming. The Democrats saying that they're going to push hard as minority members of those committees. But it'll be interesting to see how Hakeem Jeffries works with that uh, sometimes unwieldy Democratic majority, because he really has not had the experience at the level that uh, House Speaker Pelosi has had. Uh, she, of course, was uh, in the leadership position for decades. This will be a real test for him as well. I guess it's fair to say, though, that if she supported him, he does have her as counsel. He can just step over quietly to the back bench and say, hey, Nancy, how would you handle this? Right, exactly. And she has made it clear that while she's not going to try to overstep her bounds and give too much advice uh, to these leaders, she is going to be there when they need that advice. And he comes to her. And that is certainly going to be valuable to him because she knows exactly where to find all of these alliances and pull people together and how to push and pull and get the pressure on the lawmakers without seeming like she's going to be overbearing, as we've talked about, as her being essentially a backbencher now, although... Uh, she certainly has a little bit more power than that after all of her years leading the Democratic Party. Yeah, she's more Yoda than Jabba the Hutt, you might say. <laughs> That's right. We're speaking with Mitchell Miller, WTOP's Capitol Hill correspondent. And there's an immediate problem in the aftermath of that situation with Southwest Airlines. And you've got people blaming the Transportation Department and the Secretary Buttigieg and is that going to come up in the immediate short term for Congress or this will just blow away? No, this will actually absolutely take place. Uh, there will be a lot of scrutiny in connection with that. Uh, I know that these incidents tend to fade away for a lot of people, but this affected so many people with Southwest. And it really was a meltdown, as many people have described. And a lot of people are still going to be trying to get refunds, trying to get money back from staying at hotels or renting cars. And uh, among the people who have said that they will be looking at this in a congressional committee is the chair of the Senate Commerce Committee, Maria Cantwell. Uh, she said last week that they are going to look at what she calls the root causes of this meltdown and the impact on travelers to see uh, whether they go beyond just the regular weather results. Because as we know, uh, many of the other airlines, while they dealt with the issues with the snow and ice initially, they didn't have nearly as many problems last week as Southwest will. And, and on the House side, I think you're going to see some scrutiny of that as well. Well, So a lot of people say, well, this will just turn into a lot of noise and nothing will happen. But don't forget, uh, it was several years ago that after all that attention came on planes that were stuck on tarmacs for you know six to eight and even more hours, Congress did act in connection with that. And now there is a limit that airlines cannot allow people to stay on the tarmac for more than two hours. They have to at least get back to the airport or do something so that they're not sitting inside of a plane for that long. So these investigations and these hearings sometimes do actually lead to results for consumers. And maybe they'll put trapdoors required in planes <laughs> right. for when the blue water runs out after eight hours. Just open that and do what you need to do right exactly. on the tarmac. New meaning to sitting on the tarmac. Now we do have a full year appropriation. President Biden signed that uh, late last week. And so we're good through September 30th. But it's really not that long till budget 
talks will have to come around again for 2024. Right. And I think you're going to see that early on this year. You're going to start to see areas where the House Republicans are pushing back on a lot of the things that the Democrats have been doing over the last two years. They were able to get things through through budget reconciliation. And that's just not going to happen anymore. So I think what you're going to see as we move through the year, a lot of push and back and forth between the Republicans and Democrats and the House Republicans have made it very clear they're not going to want to spend the kind of money that Democrats have. They're going to scrutinize a lot of these uh, departments, including Homeland Security in connection with immigration and try to get through uh, some reforms there. And I think at some point we're going to see whether or not there's really going to be a stalemate involving the House and the Senate. Uh, Many Republicans in the Senate have a very different attitude toward these big spending issues uh, in connection with at least the omnibus and trying to get them through than the House Republicans do. So some people are already talking about the fact that Come September, we're going to hear that dreaded word shut down again because many House Republicans have indicated they're willing to go to that level if it comes to whether or not they're going to spend billions and billions of dollars more that they don't think uh, it should be spent or that they think is wasteful. So it'll be very interesting to see what happens as we move through this year and get to the end of the fiscal year. I think it was Robert Byrd that used to say the House doesn't matter, but Actually, this year it does. (laughs) It does. It matters a lot this year. Mitchell Miller is Capitol Hill correspondent for WTOP. Thanks so much for joining me. You bet. We'll post this interview at federalnewsnetwork.com slash Federal Drive. Subscribe to the Federal Drive at Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your shows. Leadership today, especially within the federal workforce, is being tested more than ever before. Sean Ferguson, Senior Vice President of Government Relations and Chief of Staff to the Office of the Chairman at the Special Olympics, joins host Shane Canfield, CEO of WEPA, to discuss the importance of leadership, inclusion, and community building. To learn more about how you can get involved with the Special Olympics in your community, visit specialolympics.org slash get dash involved. Hello, and welcome to the Lessons in Leadership podcast. What are some of the biggest lessons that you've learned working with that community? Oh, uh, yeah, almost, uh, Shane, it's almost immeasurable. The things I've learned since I've been with Special Olympics. I um, One of the things that drew me to Special Olympics uh, when I made the move over from, from the NFL uh, was that my mother, my grandmother, my aunt all took care of, of people with intellectual disabilities and, and, and physical disabilities as well. So all of my life, I was uh, interacting and around um, usually usually young people, but also adults with disabilities. And so I I knew that I knew that work a bit. You know, they they basically were in direct care. And and I will say, and on I obviously will say about my my family, my mother, my aunt, my grandmother, they're saints. Uh, but uh, the the men and women that do take care of people with uh, profound disabilities are are really um, you know we we can't do enough to salute them. Um, they are they're really heroes. And um, so I was I was drawn when I, I and I just saw that, you know, Special Olympics was looking for someone. And I thought, well, you know, I'll take a look at it and see, see you know, throw, uh, send in my information. And lo and behold, I, I, I get hired and um, I learn uh, every day almost something from especially from our athletes. Uh, we're blessed to have a number of athletes that work here in our office in Washington, D.C., and, you know, uh, Terrell, who, who works in, in our mailroom and comes by with packages and deliveries, uh, if you're having a day that's, you know, 
getting away from you and you, you <laughs> coffee hasn't kicked in, but Terrell comes by always happy, always enthused, uh, has a, has a good story. Like it can just turn a day around for you. And, and, and you think of, I, I, you know, it's often when you'll walk away, I'll be like, you know, whatever was bothering me or whatever is, you know, stressing me out and come on, you know, like, look at, look at Terrell, like he, he, he faces everything with optimism and, and and I've seen that also in our going to competitions in throughout the United States and globally, you see people who have had everything stacked against them. You know, their parents, when they were born, were often told this is a tragedy and you should, you should, you know, send your, this child away. Don't, don't, you know, and kind of forget about them, Get, turn them over to the stage or or wherever. And, and, you know, that, you know, just kind of watch, watch your hands of it. Um, and, and, and in, in these cases, the parents didn't do that, thankfully. Um, and, but they still faced enormous challenges, you know, and, but you see them out competing on the basketball courts or the football fields or swimming and, uh, and, and, you know, besting their times from, from their last competition. And they're so committed and just keep fighting through all the obstacles that they've had in front of them that are not just on the sports field, but also in growing up and finding education and finding groups to be part of and trying to find jobs. And, and, and I've seen so much perseverance and grit uh, from the athletes of Special Olympics that uh, I, I, Tim Triver, my boss, the chairman uh, says all the time, and I couldn't agree with him more. uh, We get more than we give. Uh, working with Special Olympics, it, you know, we, and thank you for your very kind words about the work I do and we do, but but we're the lucky ones. We, those of us that work here are the lucky ones because I I said to someone the other day, you know, the things that I've been able to see and experience with athletes, you just don't get to do that anywhere. That that you know, it's a, and it's so unique and it's so uh, joyful and and uh, yeah, I mean, we work hard and you know, we we're up against you know the things that nonprofits are up against and you know the you know the issues of the day but uh man you see it, it and 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 the inclusion and the at special olympics no one's excluded you know no, right. no one's excluded yep. everyone is equal at special olympics it, and you know in a country that's quite divided on so many lines politically and uh, socially uh, economically race and uh, sexual orientation and whatnot but you go to special olympics and everyone's involved everyone's welcome everyone's equal and I've learned that it's a model for our country and for our world. Uh, I, I just think that that if if people were involved in Special Olympics and experience the power of Special Olympics for themselves, I I, I can't imagine that one help our country and help our world um, to experience that true inclusion and acceptance of difference. How, how do we get? How can listeners get involved in Special Olympics? Ways to get involved, uh, tons of ways. So uh, volunteers, obviously, coaches, officials. Uh, and, and the thing that, that uh, Tim Shriver has done uh, and really pushed in the years that he's been chairman is the unified sports model that, that I mentioned earlier, um, where people, and, and it doesn't have to be, uh, it's not just school age, it's, it's uh, you know, we say nine to 99 or uh, year old uh, folks uh, that play on teams, uh, bowl together, golf together, play soccer, basketball together, uh, people with and without intellectual disabilities competing on teams together. Um, and that is, I, I think when you, when you go back to the 
founding uh, of our organization, what Mrs. Tri- Mrs. Shriver was trying to do uh, was to to uh, create inclusion opportunities for people with intellectual disabilities. And you see it at these unified sports events where people with and without are playing together. We still have traditional uh, teams where it's all people with intellectual disabilities competing with other uh, teams, all intellectual disabilities. But this model of inclusive sports and inclusive leadership programs and whatnot, I think is truly revolutionizing and changing the way people see uh, others with intellectual disabilities. That's just like, I mean, that's what we, that's what we're trying to do. We're trying to bring people together and bridge difference and, and, and celebrate differences and that our athletes, man, are some of the grittiest people that you will meet. And, and, uh, and there's a lot to learn from our athletes and playing sports with them and interacting is, is how you'll learn it. Check us out at, you know, uh, specialolympics.org on, on our website. Uh, it, that will link you to your local program. You can follow through the, the clicks of how to get involved and where, what's closest to you. You'll enjoy it. I can promise you that. Well, thank you very much, Sean. And, and to everybody listening, I'm Shane Canfield, CEO of WEPA, and we'll, uh, Talk to you next time on the Lessons in Leadership podcast.